0: Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day Three Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit daythreechurch.org. Day Three Church, experience a new day in your life. Before we jump into the message, I want to give a, a little quick advertisement. Uh, and I think it's an opportune time to do so because what you saw uh, happen uh, earlier through Financial Peace University, Financial Peace is kind of like a very, very specialized small group, uh, and, and that's what they were participating in uh, over those weeks. We're getting ready to launch our small groups uh, in their sign-up tables upstairs and downstairs. If you've never participated uh, in a small group or if you have and you've just not got a chance to sign up yet uh, this time around, please do so. Uh, because while they're not studying, uh, Financial Peace University, all of our small groups, still the impact that they receive from that type of small group, you get an impact in your life from other small groups. Whether it be relationally or spiritually and, and things you study and the way God can speak to you as you kindly, uh, rub shoulders together as believers week in and, and week out. So if you've not done so yet, at the end of the service, go outside and uh, find a sign up uh, table. Look at the options that are available there. And, uh, and, and please sign up uh, for, a, for one of our small groups at, at that time. Uh, today we're kind of starting what um, is going to be uh, the last message or the last theme, I guess, in, in our series on Grace is Greater. Um, I'm going to go kind of so far into it uh, today. We're going to be in Romans chapter uh, 6, uh, verse 1 through 11. Uh, we're going to finish looking at Romans chapter 6 in two weeks. Uh, next week, the reason I'm not finishing up this message, you've got part one coming at you today. The reason I'm not doing part two next week is that we have the opportunity to have Elizabeth Porch with us. Elizabeth is a, a native Coyle County girl. Her family was from here. Uh, although her dad and, and mom and all their family have been on the mission field in Indonesia for years. Uh, and then, uh, you know, she grew up and was called to the mission field. She serves Christ in a very, very warm part of our world called Siberia. Siberia, Russia. Uh, so uh, she's going to be with us next Sunday, both services, sharing with us about her ministry, and then we'll finish up uh, this message uh, next uh, in, in two weeks. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, a grace that transforms. Um, I, I think a lot of people fail to recognize this aspect of grace in their lives. Uh, thank God for grace that it provides salvation. Amen. Because without, that, we don't have any hope. And we need to apply the grace of God in our relationships with other people, as we've talked about. Uh, last week, we talked about a grace that abounds. Uh, Where sin, uh, once abounded, grace much more abounds. But we need to understand this also. Grace is intended to transform our lives. God didn't save us to leave us the way he found us. Grace is is not there just to get us forgiven and on our way to heaven to where we think, all right, now that I'm saved, I I can live any way I want to. It doesn't really matter if I sin because I know I'm forgiven. Jesus paid for it on the cross. I'm on my way to heaven. So it really doesn't matter what I do now. And that's not what the Bible teaches at all. And uh, that's the aspect of grace that we're going to be focusing upon. I'm afraid there are a lot of Churches in many uh, areas and, and, and pe- people that attend those churches that, that maybe get that idea that, all right, I'm saved by grace. I, I couldn't do anything to save myself. Uh, I can't do anything to cause myself to be lost. Uh, and all that's right because we are all saved by grace. But that doesn't mean that we ought to minimize the great sacrifice that Jesus paid for us on the cross by thinking on the other side of trusting Christ as our Savior. It's okay to live however we want to live. To to me, that kind of minimizes or cheapens the price that Jesus paid for us on the cross. As believers, having trusted Christ as our Savior, we we need also to be willing to, uh, to, to serve him, to follow him. Jesus didn't die just to leave us exactly like we were, and that's an important thing for us to recognize. Uh, last week, one of the main verses we looked at last week, and you'll see it later in the message, talked about where, where sin, uh, increased, grace much more abounded. And, and I think the Holy Spirit, in this very next chapter, Romans chapter 6, inspired Paul to make it really, really clear that, hey, it's not okay for us to think we're saved by grace, so now it's okay just to live however We desire however we think is okay for us to live instead of living the way God would have us to Grace is a grace that saves. Amen Grace is a grace that abounds But it's also a grace that transforms Up until this point, although we're not going verse by verse through Romans chapter 6 But if you were doing that reading verse by verse through Romans You'd find out the first chapters from chapter 1 up through chapter 5 deal with sin and deal with salvation Now when you get to chapter 6 through 8, the topic changes to one of these churchy words, one of these doctrinal words that we call sanctification. Another way to say that is transformation. Uh, Sanctification is addressed really two ways in the Bible. The moment you trust Christ as your Savior, you are sanctified because God takes you and sets you apart to himself. Like you're his vessel now, so you are sanctified. But in a practical way, he at the same time is sanctifying you in a process to where we need to be turning our lives more and more over to Jesus, to where he's sanctifying us, making us more like Christ day in and day out as we follow him. So today, as we think about this, as we think about grace being a transforming grace, there are three key words, and we're just going to look at the first two, but the three key words or or main instructions or steps that, that I think if we will listen to that Paul's writing about in this section, it, it will help us overcome the temptation of sin. It, it will help us to allow grace to transform us more if we'll pay attention to some things we need to know that Paul is writing about, if we'll reckon those things to be true in our lives, and, and then in two weeks if we'll yield fully as we ought to, to God's, uh, to God's control. So, uh, first of all, this morning, let's, let's talk about knowing we need to know this as believers. And if you're not a believer, you need to understand this can be a truth that's applied to your life. If you'll trust Christ as your savior, but as believers, we need to understand this. We need to know doctrinally that that we are dead and we are alive and we are victorious in Christ. That's a doctrinal truth. That, that's the way that God views you. You may not see yourself in that way because of the struggles you still have in this world. Because we still have this fleshly nature about us. And you may not view yourselves like this, but the way God views us and the way he tells us that we are as believers in his word is this. We need to understand and know doctrinally that you are dead in Jesus, that you're alive in Jesus, and you're also victorious in Jesus. Look at verse 1 through 10, and then we'll separate it out and break it down some. What shall I say then? Are we to continue In sin that grace may abound. That's a a question he's getting ready to answer. Because Paul knew based on what he said in chapter 5. Some people are going to think, oh, well, we might as well just sin all the more." then. Verse 2 says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him. By baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we should certainly be united with him in a resurrected life like his, in a resurrection like his. We know that if our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe this, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. By the life he lives, he lives to God. He's telling us that that there's something that, that we need to know. There's some things that we need to know. And he starts out in verse one and two by correcting the wrong perspective that some people may have about grace. He, he, he takes this wrong perspective and he's going to clearly correct it. The wrong perspective is this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And then he says, by no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? He had said, as I mentioned a moment ago, that if when when sin came uh, abounded because the law came in and, and sin increased all the more, uh, some people might have this idea. If that's true, then if, if because when sin increases, grace increases all the more and abounds all the more, then I might as well just keep on sinning. I might as well just be a really big sinner to give grace a chance to really be on show. But that's not what he is saying at all. When he when he says. Continue. What should we say then? We to continue in sin. It's kind of an interesting word. It means to to stay over or remain. And I was thinking of a way to illustrate that, and and maybe you could illustrate it like this: if if you're if you have stayed over and done something you shouldn't stay, it's like there's an invitation being given to you: hey, just stay another night, and stay another night, and stay another day. You see, that's what Satan wants to do, even to us as believers. He can't have us because we trust in Christ as our Savior. The next best thing he can do when we slip up and we do sin, because we're not perfect, we're still human. Thank God one day we'll be delivered from the very presence of sin. But right now we're talking about being delivered from the penalty of sin. So one day, thank God, we will be where we cannot sin. But that's not yet. Uh at at least if you reached it, I maybe I'm the one that's still flawed, I don't know. But but Satan wants to trick us into this. When we sin as a believer, hey, you might as well just stay over, spend another night. Spend another day. You might as well just remain here. Because he can't have us, but if he can run our testimony, he's done a really good thing by keeping us struggling over here in sin. It's like an invitation to stay over. And notice the phrase in sin means in a fixed position of sin or relation of rest and sin. He's saying, are we then to continue in a fixed position of sin that grace may abound, that grace may superabound. And that's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible doesn't teach because we're saved by grace, it's okay to live however you want to live. It's okay to just go out and sin however you want to sin now because you've been saved by by grace. He said, how in the world can we stay in a fixed position of sin? Keep, Keep this in mind. There's a difference between someone committing a sin and someone being under the power in the realm of sin. If you are habitually in a fixed position living your life in sin... That might be pretty good evidence that you have really, really backslid very, very bad, or maybe you didn't know Jesus to begin with. If you are habitually living underneath the control of sin, all of us will sin from time to time. We shouldn't do it presumptuously. We shouldn't just plan on it and say, I'm going to sin. But all of us, because we're still in a fallen world, in, in these fallen bodies, and we still have that old flesh with us from time to time, we're going to do that. But that's a great deal of difference between habitually sin, and, and that's what he's saying. How can we habitually sin and, and say, we're going to do that so grace can abound all, all the more? Romans 5.20, here's the verse I quoted earlier. For the law came in to increase a trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Paul answers the question that he knew some people might have. If that's true, Paul, why don't we just sin all the more? Why don't we just have a big party in our life? Why don't we just sin all the time and let grace abound all the more? The Holy Spirit of God closes that off. Yes, it's Paul writing, but i want to remind you something. The Holy Spirit of God is using Paul as an instrument. It's not just Paul saying, God forbid, it's God saying, God forbid. And he clearly says, by no means, or God forbid, as some translations say. The word that's translated means, uh, there in in the Greek, really means this. It, it, It means, don't even allow something to be generated. What Paul is telling us is this don't even as a believer, never, ever, ever let the thought be generated in your mind. Well, since I'm under grace, it doesn't matter if I sin or since grace abounds all the more when sin increases, then let me just sin all the more. So God's grace can be made to look all the grander and all the bigger. He said, don't even generate that thought in your mind. Don't allow that thought to come up into your mind. Because he goes on and he says, how in the world can we live in that sin? Be in that fixed position or relation of rest in in sin. But I want you to notice something. He uses the word singular. And I kind of rubbed shoulders with that a moment ago. The word sin, he uses it singular. Sins, that's the kind of stuff that we slip and we commit. The sins. Sin is the realm of sin. Sin is being underneath the control of sin and the power of sin. And that's a great distinction there. I don't like it when I do, but I'll be honest with you guys, your preacher's not perfect yet. There's no angel wings slapping on the back of my shoulders right now, I don't think. I'm as human as you are. You're not perfect yet. Thank God one day we will be. But sometimes we fail, and sometimes we commit sin. But that doesn't mean you're under the power of sin. We can have sins in our lives, not intentionally. We shouldn't plan on it. But he's telling us, here's the way God views us. God views us. He's going to correct the wrong assumption right now. Second thing to to get out of this, and I'm going to break it down some, is that there's a right perspective. He corrected the wrong perspective, corrected the wrong perspective. That people have of grace. Let's just send all the more so grace can abound. And then he gives us the right perspective of grace. He starts out in verse three, do you not know? Do you not understand? Are, are you lacking the information? Are you ignoring what the Bible has to say, do you not know? And now he's going to go on to tell us some very important things we need to know that if we will bear in mind and apply to our lives, it will help us when we're tempted to fall into sin. It will help us when we're tempted to live other than God, would want, the way God would want us to live in, in our lives. So he's going to tell us some important things we need to know. Here's the first one. God identifies believers in the death of Jesus God identifies Christians. He identifies believers in the death of Jesus. Verse three in the first part of verse four, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. Now, to... to, get a clear understanding of this. The Bible talks about water baptism and you might can view that in this passage of scripture. The Bible also talks about a spiritual baptism. I think both are applicable here, but I think what Paul is really writing about and talking about is a spiritual baptism that happens. The moment you receive Christ as your savior, the moment you trust in Christ as your savior, God views you as though you were baptized in the death of Jesus. Look at what the word baptize means. Of course, it means to immerse or, or to dip. Uh, that's what the, the translation literally means. When the King James translators were translating the word baptizo, had they translated it instead of transliterated, uh, they would have used the word immerse or dip. And instead, they kind of thought, hmm, King James don't like that. He likes sprinkling, so we're going to come up with a brand new word that never existed before, and they called it baptism, still so translate the word baptizo. What well, it means to immerse or dip, to overwhelm. I had never seen this, though, until this week as I was doing the word study. It's built on a root word that was also used referring to fabric being dipped in to some dye. I started to do it on stage, and I thought, well, we're, we're going to be close on time today anyway, and I would probably get dye all over me and all over the carpet and everything else. Had, had I brought a piece of white fabric... And I dipped it into some red dye. What's going to happen? It's going to turn red. And here's why. Because that white fabric was immersed completely in that red fluid. And when it comes out, that white fabric has so identified itself with a red fluid that when it comes out, that's what it looks like. It's a piece of red fabric. You see, that's really the picture of baptism. Baptism. When someone goes through water baptism, they're just giving a demonstration outwardly of what's already happened in their heart. As far as God is concerned, what happens the moment you trust Jesus as your Savior is that you are so identified with the death of Jesus. Also with the life of Jesus that you'll see in just a moment. But you're so identified. God identifies you so much in the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. It's as though that's how God sees you. He sees you like that piece of fabric that's totally immersed in that red liquid or whatever dye you want to use. And your identity now, that fabric, takes on the identity of the liquid that it was dipped into. You and I as believers, when we trust Christ as our Savior, we are taking on the identity of Christ as far as the Father's concerned. Hey, there are days that I don't feel like it. Amen? The days that you may not feel like it. I'm not talking about how you feel. I'm talking about what God doctrinally says about you. And God doctrinally says this about you. If you're a Christian, he views you, he identifies you with the death of his son. That paid the full penalty for your sins and the sins of the world on the cross. That's how God sees you. He identifies you completely and totally in his Death, and we need to live like that. We need to think like that. See, the the point, the main point that Paul's making through that is this: since we've died by faith with Jesus and we're buried with Him, how can we live in sin? Because as far as God is concerned, you're dead. As far as God is concerned, Lynn Parsons died the moment I trusted Christ as my Savior. I am to view my identity in the death of Jesus Christ. On the cross. Doctrinally or positionally, you need to see yourself like this. You are dead to the penalty of sin because Jesus paid for it. And that's how God views you, that you are dead to the penalty of sin. But God also identifies you in the resurrected life of Christ. In the resurrected life of Christ. Let's keep reading in verse 4. In order that... Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we should certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, now here's a tendency I'm afraid we have sometimes as believers. All right, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I'm going to live this life till I die or until I'm raptured. And when I die, I'll be put in the grave. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, one day he's going to raise me from the dead. That is true. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about us having a life that's identified with the resurrection of Jesus that we're parking somewhere out in the future. He's talking about us having a life identified with the life of Jesus now as we live. Corpses don't get up and walk around in the newness of life. We as believers, once we consider ourselves dead in Christ, that's the way God views us. We're to also view ourselves alive in Christ. And we have this this new identity that we're supposed to walk in and transport ourselves in as we live. We're identified with the resurrection of Jesus, not to continue habitually living in sin. Instead, we're to live for him. The the word walk's an interesting word in the Greek also. It means to tread all around, to walk at large, to live, to deport yourself. That's the way we ought to live. As you live your life, you you go to bed at night, you get up in the morning, you're getting ready to go out and live your life, you're going to work or whatever your day might be about that day. As you get up and move forth into that day, what are you doing? You're walking. You're transporting yourself as you walk around. Well, our view as Christians ought to be this. As I'm living my day, as I'm walking in this world, I'm to be allowing the life of Jesus. The fact that he died for me and I died with him. Now I'm alive in him. We're going to be walking around with that awareness and act like we're alive in Jesus. That's the point that he's making. We're to, we're to walk around in the newness of life. That same word we saw a minute ago about being in a fixed position of sin, you and I as believers, once we trust Christ as our Savior, we're to walk around in a fixed position where we are trusting and reckoning ourselves as God reckons us, as God views us. We're walking around living the life we have now because Jesus is alive in us. We're to know that. You see, if we, if we will know these things and keep these things in our mind, it will, it will help us. God is so sure that you have new life in Christ. I want you to see in Ephesians what he says about you. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That's the way God views you. The moment you come to Christ, you died with Jesus, you've been made alive with Jesus, but I want you to look at the rest of it and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Here's how God, how sure God is about you as a believer. If you're a Christian, here's how sure God is that he's given you life. That he's raised you to life spiritually already in his son. He's so sure of it that he says this. It's as though you are seated in heaven with Jesus right now, this moment, today. That's how God views us. Isn't that an amazing truth? You thought you were sitting here stuck in Caldwell County, didn't you? From God's viewpoint, you're sitting with Jesus right now. From God's viewpoint, it's as though you're already there. From God's viewpoint, it's as though you're already around the throne with all of the redeemed. From God's viewpoint, he sees you as though you're already seated in the heavenly places now. That's how God sees you. We're to identify ourselves. Paul is telling us some things we need to know. And if we'll know these things and remember these things... It will help us gain victory over, over sin in our life, the, the, the power of sin in our lives. If I'll know I died with Jesus, if I'll remember that and understand that I have died with Jesus, if I'll remember that I was raised to life with Jesus, the moment I put my faith in him, I was raised to life with the life that Jesus has. If I'll remind myself of that, it ought to help me when I'm struggling with the power of sin in my life the third thing god also identifies believers in the victory of jesus god also identifies believers in the victory of jesus the victory that he won when he was crucified when he was buried and we took his life back up he goes on in verse 6 through 10 we know that's kind of a buzzword all through this section we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might just keep on sinning. Did I read it right? We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Why? He won the victory over it. For, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Never, ever will repeat it again. But the life he now lives, he lives fully to the Father. He did that before the cross. He does it all for eternity after the cross. But we need to be reminding ourselves, God identifies us in the death of Jesus. God identifies us in in the resurrection of Jesus. But God also identifies us as believers in the very victory that Jesus won on the cross for our sins. He didn't win the victory for us to keep losing battles. He, He didn't win the victory for us to keep... Keep living in sin. It said that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Some translations say destroyed. And what the word really means there that he uses is that it would be rendered inactive. That it would be made of no effect. It's not that you and I as believers don't have the capacity to sin But it's that as believers, we now have the ability by trusting in God to help us to where we can keep sin from having the effect over our life that it used to have. We we can keep sin from ruling over our life. Once and for all, Jesus died for that. Doctrinally, you and I need to know that we died with Jesus. We have life with him. We have victory in him. And I wrote this little phrase this week as I studied this part of the sermon. You might not like it because I wrote it for me, but if you'll read it for yourself, you will love it. (laughs) When he died, I died. Even though I'm standing here, you know my name's Lynn Parsons. I'm not the old Lynn Parsons. I died. When he arose, I arose in him. When Jesus was victorious over sin and death, God views me as being victorious over sin and death. And as a Christian, positionally, doctrinally, that's who you, are, who you are in Jesus. I'm not talking to you about how you feel. Sometimes I don't have good days. How about you? Sometimes I don't have good weeks and I may not feel like all that's true. It's not about my feelings. It's about my faith in what God says. And God says, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, if you trusted in his son, you died with him on the cross, you've been raised with him in his resurrection and you also have the victory that Jesus has right now in your life. And those are things we need to know To help us so we can have God's grace to be transforming our lives in grander ways. But it's not enough just to know it. We need to reckon it also to be true. We need to reckon practically. We talked about knowing doctrinally, but we need to reckon practically that you are dead, you're alive, And you're victorious in Jesus. Verse 11. This is the last verse we'll look at today. We'll pick back up in two weeks. Last verse in Romans. I'll have some supportive verses. But likewise reckon ye also yourselves. The King James. Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. But alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And I'll read the ESV in just a second, so leave it on the screen. The word reckon is not our old Southern North Carolina, Caldwell County, redneck lingo. I reckon that's so. As though it might be and it might not be. We don't really know, so our our pet answer is, well, I, I, I reckon... You take out the trash. Well, I reckon and I forgot, but I reckon. <laughs> the ESV puts it like this. So you also must consider yourselves dead and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The, the word reckon really means this. Ne- next slide. It means to take an inventory. Some translations say reckon, some say consider. Well, I'm going to read you a couple of more translations, I think three more in a moment. But it means to take an inventory. It's an accounting term. It's something that Bethany could tell you about since she's been teaching the financial piece, and since she's an accountant. She went to college to learn stuff like this. To take an inventory, to estimate. To, to make a computation, and to, to count, the word even means to impute. The interesting thing for me that I discovered this week that I've not seen before is when you study out the words on reckon, the translation of the word that's used there in the original, a root word that is built on is the word logos. And that's what Jesus is called in John chapter 1. We need to reckon ourselves in Christ. We need to compute ourselves in him. We need to take an inventory to count, to have an estimation that we're dead to sin, but alive to God through Jesus. We're to even consider the death of the death and life of Jesus as imputed to us because that's what God does. He imputed his righteousness, the righteousness of his son to my account, but he did that by imputing his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection to my account, and his victory to my account. Look at some other translations, just to give you the full picture. NIV says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The new century Version translation says, in the same way you should see yourself. And you see this, this reckoning that we're talking about here, we just talked about what God says about you a moment ago, the stuff we ought to know, but we have to apply it to our lives. We have to reckon it to our lives. We need to see ourselves the way God sees us. In the same way you should see yourselves as being dead to the power of sin and alive with God through Christ Jesus. The message, paraphrase translation, puts it like this. From now on, think of it this way. Here's the way you ought to think as a Christian. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. It's like a language that's not in use anymore in the world, as far as we're concerned. As a Christian, you you need to view it As though when temptation and Satan comes whispering in your ear, you you need to act like I I can't hear that. I don't understand that. It's a language that you're no longer to understand and and be allowing to rule over your life. Instead, God speaks your mother tongue. And you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus says. Dead. Paul told us to know these things, but now he's telling us to reckon these things. We are reckon that we are, are dead. And, and that means literally to be like a corpse. We're dead indeed. And that's just a word of affirmation or concession. That means you and I as believers are to affirm this and concede this in our lives. We're dead to sin. We're existing as a corpse, but we're alive in God in Christ Jesus, we're alive in a fixed position in what Christ did for us through His death, His burial, His resurrection, the victory they won on the cross. We're in a fixed position of that as believers. Now, what does that kind of mean? That we're supposed to reckon this and apply this to to our lives. Well, it's not enough, as I said a moment when I started this a moment ago, when I started this second point. It's not enough just to know your new position in Christ. You need to live like it's true in your life. You need to reckon it, compute it to be true in your life. By faith, you reckon it, you consider it, you cannot be true in your own individual lives. Here's how Paul reckoned it in his life. Paul said this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Paul's saying, hey, when Jesus died on the cross, I was on the cross with him, as far as God was concerned. I've been crucified with Christ. Paul saying, I'm dead. The old Paul is dead. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So, so Paul's saying, I died. And he's saying, I'm alive. But the life I have now is Jesus inside of me. And then he goes on and he says this. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Reckoning is really this. It's taking a step of faith. It's believing that what God says about you is true, whether you feel like it's true or not. It's taken by faith what God says about you. You died with Jesus. You were raised with Jesus. You had the victory that Jesus won for you on the cross. And whether you feel like it's true or not, God says it's true of you. And you're to reckon that by faith and start viewing yourself the way God views you. I would submit to that a byproduct of doing that would be this. We'd be a whole lot less likely to give in to temptation and allow sin to kind of rule over us if we would be reckoning ourselves crucified with him and dead. In some cultures where slavery still exists, or regrettably at one time in our own culture, the only hope that some slaves had would be when they would die. The only way they'd be set free, unless someone paid a price for them. Well, Jesus did both for us. He paid the price for us to redeem us out of the bondage to sin that we were in. And Jesus also, as he died for us, doctrinally, and theologically, the way God views it is that we died with him. So since we died with him, we have been set free from the bondage of sin. You might slip up, you might make mistakes, you might fall, but you don't have to live Underneath the tyranny and the the rule of sin in your life. And it will help us to avoid that if we would reckon ourselves dead. If we'd reckon that decision to be true. Here's really a way to view it I've been to a lot of funerals, preached a lot of funerals in the time I've been in in the ministry, saw a lot of dead people when I was in law enforcement. I have yet to see a dead person, a corpse, get up and sin. Have you? I've never been at a funeral and and, and there the the corpse is laying there in the casket. I've never seen when they're getting ready to close the casket up, the corpse, wait a minute, I've got some more sin I want to be involved with. Have you ever seen that happen? I've never seen it happen. I know it's an extreme illustration, but here's the point. If you and I would reckon ourselves to be a corpse. If every time sin's temptation would come our way, if we would reckon ourselves to be a corpse and tell ourselves dead people don't sin. Corpses don't sin. And if we would try to use that in, in our lives, it would help us have more of a victory over the power of sin in our lives. Second Corinthians Tells us this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We need to reckon ourselves dead with Christ. We need to know it. We need to reckon it. In two weeks, we'll talk about yielding or surrendering. But today, some important questions might be this in your life. For you to ask yourself as a believer... Have you been walking around viewing yourself as God views you? And have you been using what God says you are to help you overcome the temptation to sin? To avoid the mindset of, well, if, if I'm saved by grace, then I ought to sin all the more. So grace can be all the bigger. Do you know, are you walking around with the knowledge that, that God views you as though you're dead to sin? That God views you as though you're alive in Christ. That God views you as though you've won the victory over sin and death and hell and what Jesus did. Are you walking around with that knowledge? Is that the way you're viewing yourself? Because if it's not, that's what you need to start doing. You need to reckon in your life the way God views you. You need to view it in your life to consider in your life to be true. And if you'll walk around thinking about that and applying that to your life to be true... I just kind of believe it's going to help us when temptation comes whispering in our ear. I'm a dead person. Can't hear that. I can't do that. I died with Christ. Some of you may need to ask yourself this Do you even know the grace of God at all? Have you ever really experienced God's grace? Jesus died on the cross. So you can be dead to sin and not ever have to worry about being judged for your sin, but you have to trust him by faith. Jesus died on the cross. You can have a new life. So whatever is in your old life, you can become a new creation, a new creature, and not allow that old life to still control you. Jesus died on the cross so you can have Victory in your life. Victory over that temptation and sin. Yes, we're human. Yes, we'll still make mistakes. But we're not going to allow sin to rule over us. I was a slave to it. I died, so I don't have to be a slave to it anymore. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we allow thoughts to come into our minds that you tell us not even to let be generated in our minds. Forgive us when we start thinking, well, sin increases, grace increases all the more. So I'm forgiven, I'm on my way to heaven. Thank you, Lord, for what you did for me, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and sin anyway and live against your will anyway. God, forgive us when we act like that. God, forgive us when we have that mentality. Father, I pray you help all of us here that know Christ as our Savior to have a renewed view of all that you did for us in Christ. Help us to walk around in this world seeing ourselves dead to sin. Help us to walk around in this world seeing ourselves alive in Christ. Help us to walk around this world understanding that we have the victory because of the victory that Jesus won father help us to reckon those things to be true to remind ourselves those things are true father if there's anyone here today that's never really experienced the grace of god maybe they made some kind of emotional decision but they've not fully been trusted in the death of jesus and the resurrection of jesus as full payment for their sin as their only hope their only access to forgiveness their only access to heaven father i pray you'd give them the faith they need today to see themselves in Jesus. Crucified in Jesus. Alive in Jesus. Because they've given their life to the one that died for them. Where it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.